Welcome to an inspiring message from Pastor Gillian Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire and empower you. We're launching our series called Follow. And as we begin to follow Jesus, the first thing that must happen in our lives is that we come to a first love with Him. We come to a love that is passionate and alive. So I want to read the letters that were written to the churches in Revelation. Chapter 2, verse 2 says this, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. And then I want to look at Revelation chapter 3. In verse 15, another letter written to the churches. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy from me, buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. The last passage I want to read from before we begin this morning is in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and it's a moment in the life of King David. King David was a man after God's own heart, but there was one moment in his life where he stopped following God passionately. He stopped being red hot, and I want to just take this moment and learn from it and discover what it was that caused David to lose his way. 2 Samuel 11 verse 1. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, after his little midday nine eyes, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. See, Revelation, this passage starts off showing us that we can have three spiritual temperatures. We can be hot, we can be lukewarm, and we can be cold. We can have three different spiritual temperatures. If we're going to follow God wholeheartedly and be passionately in love with Him, following Him, then we need to be hot for Him. Oh my goodness, we don't want to be lukewarm or will we, we will be spat out of His mouth. 
That's what the Bible is saying. We have to stay hot. And worst of all, we could even be cold. So that means we could be following God because these are letters to the churches. These are written to the churches to Christians. And yet God is clearly saying there is a difference in your spiritual temperature from what you first had. You've gone from hot to lukewarm, and some of you are even cold. The Bible says that God is jealous for our affection and searches our hearts to find someone who is fully committed to Him. The first thing I want to say this morning is that God is to be our first love. God is to be our first love. Now, when we're talking about first love, you know, I think about romantic love and falling in love with someone. Don't think about your first girlfriend. It's not about your first girlfriend, the first love of your life. Your first love is whoever comes first now. It's about your spouse or perhaps someone that you are engaged to or whatever, and you're madly and passionately in love with them. Who knows the wonder of first love, of that giddy, lofty feeling of chasing someone and thinking endlessly about them, and, and every conversation you have, all you do is talk about them, and everybody's sick of hearing about them. You post photos all over your bedroom wall of them, Amy. Amy did that. She had photos of Ben everywhere. All you can do is think about them, and you are just besotted. It's like that first love. You can spend all the time in the world with them and never get bored. In fact, you will endlessly pursue them. You will get wherever they are. You will be wherever they are. You will spend time face to face. Whatever they say is incredible. You are never bored for a moment in their presence. I remember when I was, uh, first started dating John. John doesn't do anything half-heartedly. I'm sure you all know that by now. He's not a half-hearted kind of guy. I'm so grateful for that. But when I started dating John, uh, he was pursuing me, and he sent me a letter, and he said to call him. We didn't have mobile phones. <gasps> Shock horror. <laughs> okay. They hadn't been invented quite yet. I think they had them attached to a car, and that was about it. And he sent me a letter with coins taped into the letter, and he wrote these block letters. It was still the beginning of the relationship, so he was really pushing the door open, if you know what I'm saying. And he sent me the letter saying, in block letters, call me. Here is my coin. You can call this, and then I will say, collect, collect, and I will talk to you. Call me, call me, call me, block letters. I'm like, oh, he's quite persistent. <laughs> okay, so I took the $2 and the coins that he taped into the letter <laughs> to call him and used it in the, the phone booth. I know, phone booths, right? Okay, it wasn't just England that had red phone booths. We had them. They, I don't know what happened to them. Maybe they went, anyway. Okay, so he gave me the coins and I called him and then he would, I was traveling around that year and um, I, wasn't based, I wasn't living in Auckland, I was doing a tour and um, not just me, like a whole group <laughs> and not singing either. Okay, not singing either, definitely, you know, like, ah! Oh. <laughs> okay, sorry, okay, sorry, let's, let's focus, it's daylight, been daylight savings, okay, okay. And so he would fly to where I was and he would, he would like be so pumped to be there and wherever I was, he would try to be there. And the one time I saw him cry before Lara was born was when he had to leave me and he was driving away from me from Taupo and his tears were coming down and he didn't want to be apart. That's what first love looks like. A passionate, all-consuming love that you just want to be with them 24-7 and you're going to do anything to get there. You know, King David was like that in the beginning. 
He started off red hot for God. He started off as a man after God's own heart, a worshiper sitting out on the hills, and he wrote all the Psalms. He wrote hundreds and hundreds of Psalms and songs to God, and he was red hot. He was on fire. Why do we think God chose him and promoted him out of obscurity? Because he was a passionate lover of Jesus. He was a worshiper. Because he was a worshiper, he began to win. God's favor came on his life. He was red hot. And then he became the king. He kept going out to battle. He kept fighting the Lord's battle. He was red hot for God. He was, God was his first love. He hadn't yet fallen in love with the grandeur of the kingship and the wonder of the palace. He still had God as his first wonder and his first passion. But over time, something began to change. Something began to change as David became complacent as David became complacent. And in that passage that we read, it said in springtime, when kings go to war, David stayed home. He let complacency creep in. And so his heart, instead of staying red hot for God, fighting God's battles, became lukewarm. And he became lukewarm. He was napping in the afternoon. When he was meant to be out in battle, he was lying around in boredom. And as he got up from his nap, then he saw something he should never have seen. He was, had his eyes weren't on heaven and on God anymore. They were firmly planted in earth. And as he saw something that he desired and that he wanted, he went from red hot to lukewarm to cold. See, a lukewarm heart stops chasing after the things of God. And when a lukewarm heart stops chasing after the things of God, it doesn't take much for the heart to become cold when it makes a choice to pursue something in the opposite direction of what God wants. And in shutting off his conscience, he knew that he couldn't take another man's wife, but in shutting off his conscience and going in the opposite direction to where he was meant to be, his heart became cold. You know, I think it's a, it's a journey, isn't it, where we can be so in love with God. This man was so in love with God, and then he ended up in a place so shut off from God, and his heart was distant from him. He was cold. You know, he, he sinned with Bathsheba, and obviously the consequences were horrendous. He caused a man to be murdered, and then he lost his son, and then there was, you know, a lot of destruction that came about from that. He, his family was always going to be chased by the sword. There was no longer going to be this perfect record. There are always going to be consequences to a cold heart. But the reality is that God is gracious and merciful. And David found a way back to that red hot fire. And the great thing is if we're in this room and we're like, I used to be red hot for God, but I know I'm kind of lukewarm or even cold. The great thing is we can always come back to our first love. And David found the way back. The Bible says that when he realized how far he had gone, he repented. He repented and he turned to God and asked for forgiveness. And God restored his first love. David was the one who wrote, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Restore it to me, God. Restore it to me. I, I want to live on fire for you, not absent from your presence. And he prayed that prayer and he came back to being red hot. At the end of his life, he left all of his treasure. He was giving to God. He was consumed with building a place for God's presence to dwell in the earth. He was consumed with passion for God. And through the journey of his life, we see that it was only one moment in his life where his spiritual temperature waned, but the consequences of that were significant. In our lives, we had to keep Jesus as our first love, to be passionate about pursuing him and to not stop because gradual change in our spiritual temperature can lead to compromise. God is to be our first love. Wesby, a great Bible author who I love, says this, first love 
is the devotion to Christ that so characterizes the new believer, fervent, personal, uninhibited, excited, and openly displayed. It is the honeymoon love of husband and wife. It is possible to serve and sacrifice and yet fail to adore Jesus. Labor is no substitute for love. Neither is purity a substitute for passion. Isn't that where religion creeps in? Religion creeps into our hearts when we think it's all about a formulaic way of living rather than a burning passion for him. The church must have both to please him. See, this love that we have, it's got to be personal. It's got to be intimate. It's got to be close. And that, then it's free because there's an inhibition that comes when we know that we are loved and we are known. You know, it's openly displayed and it's an exciting. We're to be in that kind of close relationship that blows an ideology of a distant God out of the water. You know, what did your first love of Jesus look like? I remember the moment in time when I read that passage in Revelation and I was deeply confronted by it. I think the truth is that in our Christian walk, there will be key moments where we see that our love has really drifted. But I actually think every day we're meant to be confronted by the thought that is Jesus first? Is he who we're following first? Who is first in our lives? I think there are key moments when we realize that we've actually drifted quite far. But every day we're meant to assess the question of what is our spiritual temperature? Are we following him first? I remember I've been following Jesus for 28 years now. And I remember about 10 years in and I read that passage and I felt just the weight of conviction as I realized I used to drive for hours in cars to be in a meeting where I thought God would be. I used to spend hours praying, pursuing what God wanted for cities and praying over cities in New Zealand, praying over high schools. I used to spend hours reading the Bible because I just couldn't get enough. I read the study notes, the Bible, the, the, you know, the concordance, the dictionary, everything. I read it, I devoured it. And then I would spend hours worshiping. And as I read that, I realized, gosh, just how far I had drifted to turning up to church and turning up to a life group, praying in public and no longer pr praying in private. To all appearances, I had everything still right and I had a depth, I dug a well, but the well was getting pretty low, if you know what I'm saying. At some point, we need to go back to getting the living water fresh and poured into our spirit. It was running pretty dry and in that moment, I was like, God, God, I, don't, I want you to be my first love. And I don't know where you're at this morning in this room, but I would ask, what's your spiritual temperature? Is he your first love? It might be that you are burning hot, and I pray that continues every day. It might be that you're in here going, man, I think I've just become a bit lukewarm. I'm the person that's turning up and saying grace at dinner, and, and I'm, I'm there, and I'm serving God, but perhaps I'm not passionate for God anymore. Come on, we've got to decide this morning we're not going to be lukewarm, but we're going to be red hot. And maybe some of us in this room, we've even gone a bit cold. The love has grown cold. That's what happens at the end of the age, and perhaps we become disillusioned and the love grows cold. We can't stay in that place. We've got to decide who we are going to follow. So if we're going to follow God, what does it look like? Well, it means that we have to stay in love with God. You know, following Jesus is our first love. It's not a marriage of convenience. It's not a marriage of convenience. You know, the church is referred to as a bride and Jesus is our bridegroom. You know, it's an interesting thing to get our heads around because you know, marriage here on earth, the Bible says there is no marriage in heaven. We're not going to be married in heaven. I often think for some people that's going to be good, right? <laughs> They're like, hallelujah. <laughs> Isn't that sad? <laughs> no, okay. Um, 
I won't be that person. I'll be sad. I just hope I get to live next to Johnny. I think that must be possible, right? Like, <laughs> it's so hard to get our head around that. Like, I don't, how can we not be married? This person that we have this intimate relationship with. But the Bible says that the church is the bride and Jesus is the bridegroom. That we've been invited to what? The wedding supper of the Lamb. Who's getting married? We are to Jesus Christ. The marriage will be one of intimate communion, us and Him. The most perfect relationship we could ever have. The most satisfying, the most filling, the most perfect, the most complete. And that's what we are heading to. But we don't want to turn up in heaven and and not know that He is our first love. So how are we going to stay in love? We need Him to be our first love. How are we going to stay in love? Well, firstly, we need to be consistent where we position ourselves. Where are we positioning ourselves? See, David's choices took him off the battlefield, took him off God's plan for his life, and instead left him in a palace, in a bedroom that led to boredom, that led to sin and coldness of heart. You know... In our lives, where we place ourselves matters a lot more than we think. If God has got something for us to do, we've got to go and do that. We don't, we don't choose what we do. We choose what his, his will is for our lives. David had positioned himself outside of God's place for him. We've got to ask ourselves, am I positioned where God wants me to be? You know, um, <clears throat> what we care about, we want more of. I think this might have applied more to the first room than to you, but I'll give you this analogy anyway. If we're an All Blacks fan... We're going to go to the stadium when the All Blacks play here at the AMI Stadium. We're going we're gonna to get ourselves to the stadium to be where they are. And then, then when we get to the stadium, we're going like, to know all the facts. We're going to know the fact that, hey, it wasn't good. Is Bowden Barrett playing again? He better kick well this time. You know, we'll know that he missed those kicks in uh, South Africa 1, and it's not all his fault, but it is his fault, and Richie Mwanga should have been there kicking or something like that. Because we care about it, we're going to know more about it. We're going to pursue being in the place where we can be part of the, the atmosphere and soak it in. We want to be in the presence of that game and feel, feel it out, and then we're going to want to know more, watch more. It's the same with whatever we love. We're going to want more of it. We're going to pursue more of it, and we're going to become more passionate about it. The more we know about something, the more we care about it. The more we care about it, the more we know about it. And so we've got to place ourselves in a place where God is moving. You know, the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling together of believers, which some are in the habit of doing. See, that's why we come to church, because if we're with people, the fire that's burning in them might just spark a fire to stay alive in us. If we're together with like-minded people, then how can our love towards Jesus Christ go cold? Because we're going to spur one another on. Iron sharpens iron. We're going to get around one another, and, and we're going to speak into each other's lives, and we're going to bring that sense of brotherly and sisterly love that keeps us all going. Don't forsake assembling together. Be consistent where we position ourselves. The second thing, be dependent on Him. Need Him. See, David needed God on the battlefield, but he didn't need him in the palace. David needed God to turn up when he was fighting the battles for God. You know, uh, in that passage in Revelation, it said, you, are, you say we are rich and we need nothing. You say, hey, we got it together. But I say you are naked and poor and blind. See, the truth is that if we're going to stay in love with him and he's going to be our first love, we have to get dependent on him. We have to need him. We have to step out into a place where he's got to turn up. And this means that we have to keep serving Him. We can't distance the Christian life and passion from God from serving Him. Serving God will mean that we need Him, we're dependent on Him, and first love stays awake. 
Serving God is not optional. It keeps passion alive. Keeps passion alive. Look, the thing is that with serving God, we get a vision. We get a vision that God's going to turn up and do something in people's lives. When we serve God with vision, the vision will lead to discipline. We're not going to stop turning up. We're not going to drop the ball. We're going to get there early. People were here early on a daylight savings day because vision creates discipline, but discipline leads to passion. See, if we have a vision in our lives of serving God, then we will stay on fire for God. We won't fall out of love with Him. You know, discipline will lead to this greater passion, and that's why people without a vision perish. People without vision perish because the passion has died out. They're not disciplined in serving God, and so therefore their passion wanes. You know, we're not meant to get comfortable for Jesus. That's why we've got to serve Him. We're meant to be carrying something for Jesus. We will keep our first love when we're carrying something for Him, not sitting around comfortable in a palace. So what things would cause the love to grow cold or lukewarm? Well, obviously, the same things that would cause our natural relationships to go cold can cause our love for Jesus to grow cold. You know, all relationships need vulnerability, confessing our sins, connection, proximity, and intimacy. But what can cause a relationship to spiral down? Well, I would say the first thing is complacency. David became complacent and stayed home. When kings go out to war, he stayed home. Complacency looks like taking God's grace for granted. We have a hotline relationship with God. The moment we need something, God, I really need a car park. We have the proverbial car park faith. You know, we're complacent about God, and instead of understanding what He's done for us and what He wants to do, we're speed dating God. We're speed dating God. We're turning up at the car park. God, I need a car park. Lord, I, uh, I need this blessing on this job interview. Give me a job. I need, I need you to bless this business deal. We're just speed dating God. And we're saying grace at dinner. God bless this meal. Amen. And then we're like, that's not enough. Yes, he should be in every part of our living and breathing, but he has got to be in everything. And there's got to be a passionate pursuit that we're not complacent about the grace of heaven poured out on us. We're not complacent about this gift of salvation, but restore to me the joy of salvation is alive in our hearts. And we're passionately stirred up to always advance the kingdom of God. Don't speed date God. The second thing is laziness. Just as in any natural relationship, if we devalue the relationship, we'll stop putting the effort in. You know, do what you did at first, God says to the church. He's not asking us to be superhuman. He's just saying, do what you did at first when you were first in love. You know, before you got married, before, just think about that. Do we, you know, woo somebody only when they're engaged or do we keep dating them when we're married? That's why so much about counseling and marriage says you've got to keep dating your spouse. Why? Because otherwise we become complacent and the passion will wane when we are complacent. The great thing I love about John is that John, as I said, he's not half-hearted. He didn't just make a great effort to win me. He makes a great effort to keep me. (laughs) It's wonderful. What is the third thing that can cause love to grow lukewarm? Well, I believe this is the greatest challenge of our day and generation. The, The malaise or the sickness of our day I would say, is narcissism. Narcissism. Looking at ourselves too much. Selfie. (laughs) A selfie generation where it's all about me. How do I look? How's this going to make me look? How are people going to think of me? I am wonderful. This is what I've done today. Aren't I great? Hey, 
You know, we, we look at ourselves so much that we've made ourselves the center of our world rather than having Jesus at the center. We have to be so careful that we haven't subtly become the center of our whole universe. But Jesus, who is the master of the universe, stays at the center of our hearts, the center of our gaze. Jesus even said, fix your eyes on him. Fix our eyes on Jesus. He understood that when our gaze goes off him to ourselves, then suddenly we're looking at the things of earth rather than the things of heaven, and passion wanes. Passion wanes. See, Paul wrote in Philippians, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. See, if we look at our own interests, we'll lose our way. I want to ask us today, what's our spiritual temperature? Who's our first love? How do we keep our spiritual temperature alive? Well, number four is find out what pleases God. Find out what pleases God. 2 Corinthians 5, we make it our goal to please him. See, love will stay alive when we're seeking to please another person, doesn't it? When we're, we're trying to keep another person happy, then love stays alive. It's a giving and receiving. There's a reciprocity that comes in a relationship that's truly quite special. Thanks, team. Yeah, come and join me. That'd be awesome. <laughs> you may all know the fact, or maybe you don't, that the Cameron family now has a dog. This dog is a cavoodle. Comes into the office, doesn't it, Mike? I'm not sure if the staff are thrilled about it, but they don't really get a choice. <laughs> Mike likes dogs. It's okay with Mike. But Coco the Cavoodle, a black puppy, she comes into the office, and she is definitely something that John adores. He adores that dog. Now, I am not really a dog person. And what happened was that the whole family, that's John, Lara, and Will, decided that they really wanted a dog. I mean, I'm like, cats are so easy. You know, you just put the food out and they eat it. They wash themselves. I mean, nobody's going to put a, bath, a cat in the bath who's in their right mind, right? I mean, who baths their cat? I don't think so. I mean, maybe, no. Nobody baths their cat. Cats hate water. But you have to wash a dog and you have to worm the dog and you have to get the dog injections and the dog's always eating something. In fact, just two days ago, Coco got into my mum's room and uh, we were in Australia and the dog got to the bottom of her handbag and ate a whole block of dark chocolate, wrapper and all, ate the whole thing. So my mum calls us and everybody's panicking and she's like, is it, you know, and I'm like, is it okay? And I said, well, not really. Chocolate is poison to a dog. I mean, if anyone doesn't want their dog, you can leave it out and, you know, maybe that'll, I just get just kidding, just kidding. I really like the dog now. It's really annoying that I like the dog. But um, the dog ate the chocolate, and so then there were tears. People were crying, and the dog was raced off to the vet. And the vet's like, we're going to have to make the dog vomit up the chocolate. I mean, like, like awesome, yes. <laughs> just living the dream. But you see, the kids had started chanting at me, we want a dog, we want a dog. And every morning and every night and every day, it was, we want a dog. And you know, look, at the end of the day, I love my family. At the end of the day, I want them to be pleased and happy. And so I gave in. I said, okay, let's get the dog. Now, the truth is, I really do like the dog now. She's definitely very cute. She's wormed her way into my heart, that little monkey, that little rascal, that little naughty angel. <laughs> 
But at the time, it was not what I wanted. But love always wants to please another. And if we find out what pleases God, then we'll end up living red hot for Him because our passion for Him is what pleases Him the most. It's not what we do for Him. It's what we are willing to do to sit at His feet, to pursue our love and our devotion for Him. You know, we've got to follow God and love Him willingly doing what we don't want to do. That's keeping the first love alive. Maybe it's going to inconvenience us, but the truth is that is love always convenient? It isn't really always convenient, is it? Love is not convenient. It's about commitment. And when we're in a marriage long enough, we understand that our convenience dies to the level of our commitment. And that passion stays alive because we're committed. We're committed. We're devoted. Following God means our preferences die because of our passion for Him. Look, I want to encourage us all. Love will prefer others and please others. Is our passion alive this morning? The fifth thing I want to say is this. Come back to your first love. Come back to your first love. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and Pastor Gillian Cameron, visit arisechurch.com or connect with us on Instagram at arisechurch and at Gillian Cameron.